This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you at church today. If we've not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Landon, and my wife Kelly and I get to pastor this great church, one of the greatest honors of our life. We got three kids. They're the first three. You're the fourth one. You're the fourth one, and we are just so grateful uh, for you and your life and you being here today. We're in the middle of a series called Greater Things. Everybody say, Greater Things. Say a little greater than that. Come on, say Greater Things. That's better. That's better. It's not good things. It's greater things. It's not gooder things. <laughs> it's greater things. What is good? We talked about it last week. You're going to have to go listen to it. We don't have time to go back and recap it, but we talked about last week, set the foundation for there's a big difference between good and great, a very large difference. And if we don't understand what good is, then how could we ever want great? Because we wouldn't even know what that looks like. So we have to understand what good and great looks like. And it's not semantics. There's a very clear distinction between the two. Last week's message was entitled, We're Not a Good Church. We're not a good church. We believe we're a great church. And there's a very big difference. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what a greater things church looks like today. But last week when we laid the foundation for the message, we're not a good church, we focused on, well, what is the Bible's definition of a great church then? Because a good church would provide a lot of nice services and uh, programs, and I'm not against programs, I'm not against making things great and having good coffee and excellence and all of that, but when that is all it is, it's just good. What does a great church do, though? Great churches are a little messy. You know why? Because there's people in them. Greater churches, greater things churches are a little messy because there's addicts coming to church and messed up marriages come into church and people who don't know God come into church. It looks a little messy. And Jesus was all about the messy. He was all about the greater things. We talked about last week that a great church, the biblical definition of a great church, is a focused church. A a greater things church is a focused church. A greater things church is a faithful church. A greater things church, a great church is an innovative church. We have a, a phrase we use around the office a lot, uh, or people use around their offices a lot, if it's not broke... We believe that if it's not broken, then you break it because there's a better way to build it. You just keep finding ways to innovate. We don't let things sit. There's a better way to do it. There's a greater way to do it. There's a cutting edge way to do it. And we're always looking at the innovative side. A greater church, a great thing, greater things church pleases God rather than man. I don't know if you know how many times Kelly and I have had people come up and, and, and say, God told me that our church is supposed to whatever. Um, and I, I always wonder, I always begin to dig into those things a little bit because sometimes it's true and I would say 90% of the time it's not. 
But the times it has been true, it came from someone who was bought into the house and the attitude and the culture and the honor of the house. And a greater things church pleases God rather than pleasing people. And it's very difficult to do. And you feel like you play bad cop a lot. But that's what a great church, a great church wants to make God happy. I heard a pastor say it was their very first Christmas. This was like 30 years ago. Their very first Christmas ever as a church. And they, this was way before there were like church planning organizations and all kinds of stuff. You just opened a church up in your home and hope it worked. And, and so they, they, these guys started a church and their very first Christmas, there were five people at church and three of them were his, his wife and his kid. And he got in the car and he was so depressed having to preach to his wife and two old people and a baby. And he was so upset. And he got in his car and, and his wife grabbed his hand and looked at him and said, we made God happy today. Well, now 30 years later, that, that church is, is all over the place, has campuses in Europe, and, and it's just insane at what God's doing in the house. We got to please God first. A great church is focused on family trees. So a great church is not content with just you being happy and you coming back and please come back, please come back. No, we're, we're thinking three. We say that a lot around here. Everybody say think three. three. We're thinking three generations ahead. We're thinking about your great-grandkids. And the decisions you make now are going to affect your great-grandkids. A great, a great church is passionate about reaching people far from God. This is not the first church of the holy frozen chosen. We are all about reaching people far from God, and that makes it a little messy. I'm not lying. This, is, I, this isn't in my notes. I'm going to tell you anyway. If it doesn't work, I won't do a second service. You're the guinea pig. So this, this pastor, I know, I went and preached at his church, and it's a, good, it, it's a great church, and they're a very, you know, active, kind of rambunctious church, like the kind I grew up in. People with flags everywhere, someone painting something on stage, and people laying everywhere, look like a bomb went off, and, and I'm getting ready to preach in there. And it's all normal to me. It's like I, I was raised that way, so it doesn't bother me at all. And, uh, and he, he came up to me and he said, hey, watch out for this person. If something starts to happen, you need to let me know. I'm like, what does something mean? And he said, well, and the worship's going on. And he said, well, I need you to help me be my eyes on the stage. I'm not trying to distract you from your sermon. But um, she, she was a dancer, questionable dancer. And the church had support poles all down the aisles. And when she got saved, not, no one had told her that when music comes on, we just don't do certain things. Um, and the ushers were like, there's nothing in the rule book, the handbook for pole dancing at church. Um, it's messy. Thank God there are no poles here. We don't have to worry about that. It's messy. But now that lady serves in their church. Her entire family is saved. She's gotten married. She has grandchildren now that are in the kids' department. What if that church had just slapped her with a we don't do that kind of attitude? What would have happened to her family tree? We're passionate about reaching people far from God. A great church also prays first. Before we do anything, we pray first. We pray first. We're not... We're not completely focused on just getting programs done and coming up with an idea. And a great church also creates disciples, not simply believers. 
Because a believer is someone who's met Jesus, but, and they're going to heaven, but their life looks a little bit like hell. And yeah, they're going to make heaven their home, but a disciple, as we talked about last Sunday, is someone who hears the voice of God and does what he says every day. If I asked you to raise your hand, how many of you know how to hear God? I think we would all be very surprised at how many of us wonder if I even hear him at all. And so we're, we're very intentional here about helping you hear God and understand what he's saying and help you do what he said to do. And then a great church strives for, for unity. See, great churches are 100% committed to the great commission given by Jesus in Matthew 28. Jesus came up to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of everyone, which means to help the people learn of me, believe in me, and obey me. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. I remain with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, and on every occasion. How many of you would say that's good news? Even to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. This is what the church was told to do by Jesus before he ascended into heaven. Go and make disciples. Teach them. Go find them. Teach them and help them hear me and teach them how to obey. Not just have them organize their lives appropriately to where they can come to church at least once or twice a month so you can jack up your numbers online. We're not about that at all. I don't even look at attendance numbers. I can't even tell you the last time I logged into that spreadsheet. Because I'm all about, we're all about, this church is all about digging deeper, helping you become a disciple. Sunday mornings are fun and it's a safe place for you to come and learn and grow. And, and, and it's a very safe place for the believer who's looking and learning. But it's also a place where disciples can go deeper. At the so today, we're digging deeper into greater things by discussing the greatest thing ever in the history of of the world. It's a big sentence, but it is not hyperbole. The greatest, the greatest, destest thing ever in the history of the world to ever happen to me and to ever happen to you, and it is called the blood of Jesus. Today's message is called the blood-bought church. Now somebody say that, say it out loud. Say the blood-bought church. Now, it's very quiet in this Presbyterian church. I'm going to need you to wake up a little bit, okay? Now, say it with some Holy Ghost stank on it, all right? Say, the blood-bought church. The blood-bought church. Now, say, ha! You got to say that at the end. Yeah, there you go. Okay, whatever. See, good is doing your best, but great is receiving God's best. His son, Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, So we're going to celebrate the simple today. We're going to celebrate the simple by highlighting the profound simplicity of our faith. In a complex world with the onslaught of information and comparison and weariness, let's pause today and simply celebrate the profound, simple truth that we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, period. What does that mean, though? Well, let's see. Greater things. What what does the blood of Jesus Christ do for those who believe in him? And I really felt like 
I was being led in scripture this week to just highlight this very simple thing. And I, I remember growing up that it had to be a King James Version Bible and it had to be a red letter edition. And even though I don't hold to that ideological bent, I do believe there's power in the red letters and there's power in the blood. We used to sing old songs like that. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. What does the blood of Jesus do for those who believe in him? Number one, gives you total access. We receive access to God in worship and prayer. And for those of you that are recovering Catholics, you don't need me for this. You don't need me for this. This is between you and God. The Bible says very clearly that Jesus is now our intermediary. Not a man. It's Jesus Christ alone. That is Christian theology 101. That it's just Jesus alone. We have total access. Let's just, let's, let's just celebrate the simplicity. This is a little crazy. That you and I have total access to God. The creator of the universe. Complete access to God. Because of the blood of Jesus. The Bible is clear that every person is separated from God because of our sin. That's in Romans 3. That means that even the best of us are unable to approach God and offer worship or prayer. Because of our sins, we've remained at a distance. But the Bible tells us that Christians can come boldly into God's presence. Look at Hebrews 10. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the, say it out loud. <laughs> All right. Say it again. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Jesus. Y'all didn't scare any devils the first time, by the way. Blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. We have confidence to enter the holy place. That, doesn't, that means you don't have to open the curtain and go, hey, God, can I? But a lot of us pray that way because we don't understand our access. We have confidence to enter the holy place. If you're a Christian today, you have confidence as you approach God with your prayer. You have confidence as you approach God with your worship because you're no longer far away from God. Ephesians 2 says, we have been made near by the, say it out loud. By the blood, by the blood. But we don't come boldly to God when we try to do things on our own. We try to be good and we try to make Jesus love us on our own merit, but that's not salvation or even Christianity. Let me prove it to you. Point number two, so we got total access. The second one is we got total salvation. Jesus didn't save part of you. He didn't save your pinky toe. He saved all of you. We've received the forgiveness of our sin. In addition to being able to enter God's presence through the blood of Jesus, we are also forgiven of our sin. Ephesians 1 says, in him we have redemption through, say it out loud, his, the forgiveness of sins according to his riches, not your merit. We have redemption through his blood. 
You had nothing to do with it. But you and I are taught that we have to strive. The word strive in the Bible is never found. But we are taught that we have to work hard to make God love us. But because of Christ's shed blood, God is able to forgive us of our sins because Jesus took our punishment. Jesus paid our debt. And while we deserve hell because of our sin, Jesus' sacrifice makes sure that heaven is our eternal destination. Christ explained the forgiveness he offers to his disciples at the Last Supper. He said, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And there's communion up here. You'll have a chance to take communion at the end of the service. And remember these words of Jesus over your life. But just as the, pas- the blood of the Passover lamb delivered the Israelite people from the night of terror in Egypt, Christ's own blood would deliver us from the judgment of God. The truth is expressed beautifully in the hymn, Nothing But the Blood. In the hymnal I grew up with, it was in the white hymnal. We had two hymnals, a contemporary one and an old school one. This was in the white one, which was the old school one. It was page 315, and here's what it says. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So take joy. Christians, that the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from your sin. And you did nothing to earn it. Ethan and I were on a trip in Lubbock a couple of weeks ago. And uh, when we, uh, we were in the hotel room and we were getting ready to go to a meeting with a banker for the land and all of this stuff. And, and we were just looking around and Ethan opened up the uh, the uh, nightstand, and usually what's in there? A Gideon Bible. But there was also a Book of Mormon in there. And so Ethan pulls out the Book of Mormon because he's a good Christian. He pulled out the Book of Mormon, and he just flipped through it, and he goes, I want to see what kind of heresies are in here. So he opens it, and he flips to it. <laughs> he opens it, and he looks at it, and this is the verse he found. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. It says, it is by grace that we have been saved after all we can do. And then Ethan marked it out and wrote lies next to it. <laughs> and he defaced property and put it back in the nightstand. And his pastor approved and I gave him a raise. And so that's just... <laughs> but what does the Bible say? Not this lie. The Bible says it is by grace we have been saved. Through faith. It is the work of God, not the work of man, so that no man can boast. It is the exact opposite of what's written here. This says, after all you can do, after you finally realized how awful you are, then Jesus might go, okay, at least you tried. That's not Christianity. That's not Jesus. And I show that to you because, not because I have a vendetta against Mormons, but because we're living our lives with this lie. But it only creates pain, exhaustion, and wandering. How many of you have tried to do this Christian thing on your own? It's exhausting. I did that for years, and I just got so tired and exhausted. And I remember when I was in college, I just had this moment where I finally got it, where his blood completely covered me, all of me. 
all of my sin, past, present, and future, that the blood of Jesus Christ is thicker than my sin. And when I finally got that reality, it changed my life forever. And then page 315 in the old white hymnal made more sense to me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I think sometimes you and I need to just celebrate the simplicity of our faith. Only humans make things complicated. Jesus didn't. We were lost and far from God. Jesus died. His blood covered our sin. He went to hell, got the keys, defeated Satan forever, gave us authority to defeat him, ascended into heaven, gave us the Holy Spirit, and now we're here, but we're going back to the sacrificing turtle doves kind of life and living our lives like that lie, that I'll receive grace after I try. That doesn't mean that you don't do anything because faith without works is dead. But that is in completely different context. It's talking about your faith and your belief, not your salvation. So when we don't read the Bible in context, we mess things up. The blood of Jesus, here's a bonus. We are progressively cleansed from more and more sin. How many of you would love to never sin again? Raise your hand. Not everyone's going to raise their hand. It's okay. It's fine. TJ didn't. You know, it's, it's okay. Just kidding, just kidding. We are progressively cleansed from more and more sin. You're going to sin again. You might do it today if there's traffic. You're going to sin again. You're going to yell at your spouse. You're going to kick the dog. There's things that are going to, you're going to overreact to things. You're going to take a shortcut. You're going to cheat on your taxes. You're going to, there's going to be things that are going to happen. But the Bible says that we are progressively cleansed. Look at this. The blood of Jesus offers not only forgiveness of sin, but also sanctification, which is just a churchy word for he's going to keep doing it over and over and over again. Hebrews 13 tells us that Jesus also suffered in order to sanctify the people. This is written in the Greek tense of continuation. It continues. The sanctification continues. That means that some years you walk up five steps with God and you might fall one but you're plus four, baby. It's a good year. Some years you go up one and you go down one. You ever had a year like that? Jesus is after the progress. He's after taking you from here to there. And he knows where he's trying to take you because he created you. Isn't that good news, everybody? Sanctification, it's a good news. It's a process. We have been rescued and ransomed. Look at 1 Peter 1. You were ransomed. From the feudal ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, which means Jesus didn't buy you at a market, but he bought you with the precious blood of Christ. It's amazing to me. The blood of Jesus. Number three, we have total freedom. What does the blood of Jesus do for people? We have total freedom. So it means we can have our consciences cleansed. I don't know if any of you remember, I mean, I was a Christian kid in the 90s, so I had all of Carmen's cassette tapes. <laughs> the only hope for America. He said, when the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Still true today. 
Look at Hebrews 9. The blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, will purify our conscience from dead works. Isn't that good news? So when, you're, when you feel like you're remembering your old self all the time, that's not God going, I'm just reminding you how awful you are so you can love me more. That would actually be pretty manipulative, and God's not like that. The devil reminds us of our past life and our past sin. This is an amazing promise that he'll actually cleanse our conscience. He'll actually take that thing you did that you're remembering and use it for ministry later. He'll take that thing that you've done and turn it around, and the gallows that the devil tried to build to take you out will take him out. He offered himself his unblemished, perfect life as a sacrifice to God on account for our sins. And even though our minds have been corrupted by sin, Christ can cleanse us. We are able to live and think the way God wants us to, and we can live for real and live again. And this is great news for those of us that are burdened by past, our past and burdened by a corrupted conscience. Of course, I've done things I regret. Of course, I've done things that I wish I hadn't have done. But when those things come back to my mind and I've already repented and I've already asked God to forgive me, it's a done deal. And when it keeps coming back to my mind, I submit it back to Christ. I don't need to repent for it again because it's already been forgiven. It, it's, it's under the blood. It's under the blood. And when God looks at you through the lenses of the blood of Jesus, he sees perfect sons and daughters. Isn't that good news? Number four, you have total authority. Authority over the devil through the blood of Jesus. There is someone who knows, maybe even better than you do, the power and the authority given to you by the blood of Jesus, and that's the devil himself. He knows that if you understand this, then he might be in trouble. He will do anything to make sure you never find out what authority has been given to you. He'll keep you distracted. He'll try to keep you, he'll try to keep, keep you unfocused with too much busyness. The devil will even send people or send ideas to confuse you. And he'll plant seeds of doubt to keep you from operating in what belongs to you. The devil is incredibly consistent and he's very good at what he does. But we win. My little Pentecostal Gigi would grab her King James Bible, which was about two times this thick, and she'd shake her bird nest and she would stand there and flip the Bible like this and she would say, I've read the back of the book and she'd slap it, and we had a giant wooden pulpit, and she'd slam her Bible down on the pulpit. And she said, I've read the back of the book, and we win. And everybody would go nuts and run in circles for three hours. <laughs> but because of Christ's sacrifice, you and I can trust in the righteousness of Christ, not in our own righteousness, because that would be self-righteousness. Revelation 12 says, and they have conquered him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony. For they didn't even love their lives. They were dead to themselves and only alive in Christ. This is the mindset of a disciple. 
It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And how can I use my life to make a difference in the life of another? And as a believer, we know that we cannot stand on our own merit or because of our own deeds. But Christ's righteousness has attributed to us victory that we can stand on and stand against the accusations of the devil. The word devil is a Greek compound word. It's diabolo, where Spanish gets its word diablo. And it means to come into the middle and explode. Remember, dia is diameter. Balo is where we get the word ballistic missile. So his name is to come into between you and your wife and you and your spouse, you and your husband, and explode. To come between you and your church and explode. To come between you and your kids and explode. Maybe you're thinking of an area in your life right now where he's gotten in the middle and, he's, and you can smell the fuse. That's his job. That Jesus was the connection between this cliff and that cliff, and we walk across to God on the cross. He spanned the gap. We have total authority over the devil, and everything is under the blood. Look what Charles Spurgeon said. He knew this truth very well, and he spoke these comforting words. I know what the devil will say to you. He will say to you, you're a sinner. Tell him you know you are, but that you've been justified. He will tell you of the greatness of your sin, Tell him of the greatness of Christ's righteousness. He will tell you of all of your mishaps and your backslidings and your offenses and your wanderings. Tell him and tell your own conscience that you know all of that, but that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And that, although your sin be great, Christ is quite able to put it all away. See, when the accuser says we're guilty, our plea before God, the righteous judge, is the blood of Jesus. The blood is our defense. The blood declares we are not guilty. Instead, we are free from the penalty of sin. The blood kicks Satan out of the affairs of our lives and the lives of our families. But we do this by faith in Christ alone, not by trying to make it happen. But a lot of us try to pay for our own sin by trying to be nice and do good things for people. And we're hoping that it impresses God enough to where he'll let us in. And you might have the idea of maybe... Maybe I won't have a mansion in heaven, but at least I could have a tent next to the crystal sea as long as I get in. But that's not the mindset of a disciple. It would be like you're you're paying off your student loans (laughs) and somebody offers to pay them all for you. And you say, no, I got it. How many of you know that person has a mental problem? And when it comes to our faith, though, we do this every day. Jesus offers the blood to pay for our sin, and we're like, no, 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 I got it. But Jesus is saying right now to some of you, stop striving. Just come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that rest only comes from the blood, not through human activity. Yes, we can go and be in nature and do breathing classes and all kinds of things to calm ourselves down. But we're talking about a spiritual rest. We're talking about a rest that only comes through the blood of Christ. Some of you today have been trying to pay for your own sin and you feel like you, you know God. Maybe you even know Jesus. You've gotten saved and you know you're going to heaven, but you're trying to do it all on your own and you're tired. You're tired and you're striving and you're, 
you're, you're worried and you're stressed out and you're depressed and you're anxious and you're mad at your spouse all the time and you're like, I hear all these things in the Bible but it doesn't match my life and you're wondering where the disconnect is. And it might be the tiredness is not from uh, as much of all the activity you're doing, it's half of that. The other half is you carrying your own load. And Jesus is trying to take it from you saying, give me that burden. I've got it. I've already paid for that. Your mind, let me help you. We're talking about greater things. It's the blood-bought church. It's a church that recognizes that we, all of this activity is not so we can feel good about ourselves. We don't learn our spiritual gifts and stuff at Growth Track so we can feel good about ourselves. We do this because we're moving towards the deep end of the pool as disciples and we're teaching other people how to swim. And we're obeying God and hearing God and listening to God and, and letting God have all of our life. This cares about. The blood-bought church understands that it's about what Jesus cares about. Look at the, the Greek word for church. I use this a lot in meetings and stuff, but it's the Greek word ekklesia. It just means those who are called out. Those who are called out. A great church understands her foundation of faith, which is the people tell me about why you love your church. When I preach places, I ask this question. And a lot of times the pastors ask me, they want me to give them some recon, I guess. And a lot of times they go, well, I love my church because sister so-and-so is at the coffee counter. I love my church because they have donuts every week. I love my church because the music's good. I love my church because the service length. I love my church because I don't have to wear a suit. I love my church because they want me to wear a suit. I love my church because they've got a choir. I love my church because... They've got an electric guitar. I love my church because they have small groups. I love my church because they have Sunday school. I, and I ask people, tell me why you love your church. Most of the time it has nothing to do with mission or vision. It has nothing to do with, well, we're the church. We're called out. We're on mission to help other people. And that's, in, that's the focus of our church. That's why I love it. Because I'm being used to do something in the life of another person. Because that's the actual only answer. It's... I'm being used by God. A great church understands her foundation of faith and her responsibility as the called out ones. It isn't programs alone. It's not the vibe. It's not the experiences or events or style. It's theology. It's faith. It's justification. It's genuine community. It's accountability. It's authentic. It's real. It's true. It's simply Jesus in his blood. You are the called out ones, not the observers. We are the church, not an event. We are the people of God, not an organization. We are the redeemed. We are the saved. We are the ransomed. We are the ones called out by God to find the lost no matter the cost. We are the light of the world, the Bible says in the New Testament. A city on a hill that can't be hidden. We are the blood bought church and we know that church has nothing to do with buildings we said last week that the property we're buying on I-35 
God forbid if we put a beautiful building on that five acres and fill it with a bunch of dead people. May it be a city on a hill that the devil can't even try to hide because we understand the foundation of our faith is the blood of Jesus. And when the devil tries to make our lives complicated, we remind him about, I'm just saved by grace alone. I am the blood-bought church and I exist for the world. That is the church that Jesus left on earth. A church of people that are empowered by the Holy Spirit that understand the blood of Jesus and take out the devil in every HOA they can find. We're the blood-bought church. If you want to find out more about this or how to engage in it, Growth Track is next Sunday from 5 to 7 at the church office. We'd love to have you there. Uh, we feed you and your kids and we have a great time and it's, it's about, about two hours, hour and 50 minutes, two hours. And we'll be there, staff will be there, some leaders are there, we have a bunch of food and we talk through why did God bring us all together? And we talk through the biblical foundation of our faith and our church and how we all can play a part in it together. So if you've never been to Growth Track, this is your next step. If you've never been, uh, if you've never used your gifts to serve in the local church, this is your next step. If you're a Jesus follower, you have a purpose given to you by God and you're here on purpose for a purpose. We are the blood-bought church. There's power in the blood, everybody. Does the blood, so let me ask you this question because I can't assume that everybody in this room is even saved. Does the blood of Jesus cover your sin? Have you repented and made that declaration that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I wanna live for him? If not, then the glorious benefits of everything we talked about today are available to you this morning. And if you humble yourself and you cry out to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, he will save you. And there's no greater gift than reconciliation with God by trusting in Jesus today. So as the band comes up to help me lead uh, the end of our service, we do what we call a response time. And our response time is simply this. It looks a little different. For those who have been coming for a while, normally the tables are on the side. We're going to simplify things a little bit for you. We have two tables up front, and what they have on them is communion elements. And they're just little cups, and there's one layer for a little cracker, and there's another layer for the juice. And that simply exemplifies the body of Christ that was broken for you and the blood of Jesus that was spilled for you. Everybody take communion today and remind yourself of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And then there will be some staff and prayer team and prayer partners down here at the front of the room. And they wanna pray for you about anything especially if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, today is your day. Come up and tell one of these prayer partners, I want to get saved today. And they will pray a prayer of faith with you. And today your name will be written in what the Bible calls the Lamb's Book of Life. And we just plucked you out of hell and put you in heaven. Jesus Christ wants to do that with you today. And today is the day for that. And if you feel like you have knew Jesus before, but you've walked away from your faith, today you can start over. So this time, what Kelly and I and the other pastors do on stage here has, is, is not a performance. We don't do any of this for your applause or even your approval. This is simply 
an opportunity for us to share the word of God and allow you to respond because it's your life with him. We can't live it for you. So this is your moment to respond to the Lord. Everybody go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to end the service here in about eight minutes, maybe a little less. But we're going to sing a song called Mercy. And it's, and it's all about being the living proof of what the mercy, can God, mercy of God can do. So I'm going to pray. And while I pray, the prayer partner is going to come down uh, to the front. So when we're done praying, they'll be ready to receive you. You can come grab communion. There's two aisles, two tables. Um, you can take communion up here at the altar. You can go back to your seat. Get the most out of this, these next five minutes or so, okay? Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. Lord, thank you that you are bringing peace to our soul, that you are bringing understanding to our mind, and that God, today, we can receive the blood of Jesus and have it cover our life and cover our sins, past, present, and future. And God, may the mercy of God reign supreme here. And everything the devil's trying to say to them right now, we, we, we crush that right now by the blood of Jesus. We say this moment is for you. That very thing the devil's trying to remind you of even right now. You take step after step after step and you walk up here and receive prayer and let God set you free this morning. The Bible says it is for freedom that you've been set free. Allow him to set you free today. You got problems in your marriage? Come get prayer. You need healing in your body? Come get prayer. A relationship that needs prayer? Come get it today. Let freedom reign supreme in your life and in your family. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, Tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.